Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for June 21st, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest TV and film news. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today are Slash Film writers Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys. So I, I think it's probably a good idea for us to start off today's episode by uh, providing a little bit of an update, albeit a confusing one, to a story that we talked about on the show yesterday, which is yesterday we talked about how Lucasfilm was uh, reportedly putting all of their Star Wars story spinoff movies on hold. But it seems now like that is kind of being called into question. So what happened is ABC News spoke with Lucasfilm, and they're now reporting that yesterday's story was, quote, premature and speculative, and that multiple non-trilogy movies are still in the works. So just to be clear, for anybody who maybe didn't listen to yesterday's episode, the Star Wars movies, the trilogy that's being overseen by Ryan Johnson, who directed The Last Jedi, and that new trilogy is supposed to deal with characters that we've never seen or heard from before, in the Star Wars universe, that is still on. And another series of movies from David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who are the creators of HBO's Game of Thrones, that is also still on. So that's what we talked about yesterday. But yesterday's report said that, you know, movies like the Obi-Wan film and the maybe if a Yoda movie was in the works or like Boba Fett, those sort of not officially announced, but movies that were basically rumbled about as in terms of like being in development, that those movies aren't happening. But this new update says that uh, Lucasfilm told ABC News that there are still multiple Star Wars films currently in development that have not been officially announced, and those projects are moving forward separate from the ones that I just mentioned with Ryan Johnson and uh, Benny and Weiss. So there are a few possibilities. I think that maybe Collider's report yesterday was inaccurate, 
or that this move is sort of like damage control for the people at Disney who are like uh, seeing all of this potentially, you know, everybody talking about this yesterday and trying to like get a hold of the story and then control the narrative while they still can. And I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts about what might have gone wrong here or what the truth could be? Chris, have you have you been able to ascertain anything from any of this? I, I mean, I think it's safe to say that Lucasfilm and Disney are, you know, exploring new options and they're reconsidering a few things. But I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I feel like maybe yesterday's big story was maybe prematurely. Uh, released and now maybe Lucasfilm is is scrambling to set the record straight. I mean, or at the same time, maybe it was accurate and Lucasfilm is just saying this to save face. I really don't know. I mean, like I said, it's safe to say that something's going on, but uh, I think it's almost impossible for us to ever really know unless we literally like worked for Lucasfilm. Yeah, and and Collider has had a pretty good track record, uh, so I'm sure they heard something. I don't know if something may have gotten lost in translation, and I'm actually just now reading in our Slack channel, uh, Peter Serretta, the editor-in-chief of SlashFilm.com, just shared this uh, story from a website called Making Star Wars, and they sort of hint that the movie that was theoretically in the works was supposed to be along the lines of like a Moss Eisley Cantina spaceport movie that was not a, that wasn't an official title, but crew members were... Uh, you know, theoretically supposed to be working on this film. And then that is one of the ones that ended up being canned or, or postponed. So that's an interesting wrinkle because we had never heard anything about that kind of film being developed. And and this is still, I guess, early on, and we're still trying to figure out uh, separate fact from fiction here. But I just wanted to give you guys this information as we were getting it. So um, we'll look into that and see if it's worth uh, actually writing about. But um, HC, do you have any thoughts about any of this? I wonder if maybe Collider's report was um, incomplete. Maybe they heard early reports, but not um, what was actually happening, uh, the most updated version of it, or Mm -hmm. perhaps just got distorted through the grapevine. It sounds like the sources are all not really on the same page. And now that that story came out, Lucasfilm is, like you said, kind of scrambling to get everyone uh, on that same page. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure, you know, the truth will rise up uh, sometime very soon. But in the meantime, let's talk about uh, another update to or or I guess a follow up story to another story that we talked about yesterday, which was MoviePass. And we talked yesterday about how AMC theaters had just launched their own uh, movie theater uh, subscription, like ticket subscription plan to compete directly with MoviePass. And now uh, MoviePass has responded, but in (laughs) sort of an unusual way. HT, what's going on? Well, this isn't everything MoviePass do. It's an unusual strategy. (laughs) Anyways, welcome back to MoviePass Daily, uh, (laughs) in which we update you on the most recent MoviePass uh, feature, uh, they are going to be introducing surge pricing for certain popular movies. So starting in July, monthly MoviePass subscribers will have to pay $2 or higher for certain titles and showtimes that are in higher demand. This doesn't apply to you if you are an annual MoviePass subscriber, but it will apply to only the monthly MoviePass subscribers. So if you want to see a movie on opening weekend or if it's a big blockbuster like Star Wars or a Marvel movie, then it will likely be a little higher. It it employs the same strategy that... uh, rideshare apps like uber or lyft use so it sounds like a a, won't be a very popular feature because the ten dollars a month um 
price was the biggest draw for MoviePass, and they're kind of screwing themselves over by introducing something that will add a twist to people who don't expect it, at least, unless they're listening to this daily podcast that, about MoviePass. So, um, but they do have a few new features that will maybe balance things out. Uh, one includes being able to add a ticket purchase for your friend, as well as options to buy IMAX and 3D movies, although those will also be subject to surge pricing. Okay, well, it seems like they're trying to do something, I guess, uh, to sort of offset a little bit of that, the bad taste that the the surge pricing might leave in people's mouths. But uh, Chris, I imagine you probably don't have too many thoughts on this since you're not a MoviePass subscriber, right? Or, or am I wrong? Do you have a, a, a scalding hot take on this? <laughs> I'm just I'm just tired of the the movie pass wars as I call them. I'd like this <laughs> this to just come to an end. It seems like every day there's a new movie pass story. It's getting a little uh, exhausting. Yeah, there's actually two today, and we'll talk about the second one in just a second. But before we get to that, HT, you are a movie pass subscriber. Does this surge pricing uh, make you wary? Is this something that is going to make you not uh, renew your subscription with them? So I actually have an annual subscription so it won't apply to me but yeah it's not a good move on MoviePass's part once my annual subscription runs out I will probably just abandon ship and go to that AMC deal although Mm -hmm. I I do like the fact that uh, IMAX and 3D are being added as well as the inclusion of landmark theaters yeah, yeah. Uh, so the other MoviePass related thing is uh, <laughs> their troubles have continued, and a new report says that they might need more than two, more than one point two billion dollars in uh, additional capital to become profitable. So we've talked a lot about how their, um, I guess, business model is not necessarily sustainable in the long term. There's a lot of uh, you know analysts and financial people who are really you know putting this company under close watch and trying to figure out what the hell is going on with them. But uh, the latest is that Helios and Matheson Analytics, which is the parent company of MoviePass, has just launched a $164 million bond sale in an attempt to basically stay alive as a company because uh, according to Variety in October, their stock was trading at $38.86 a share, but on Wednesday of this week, it closed at just over 33 cents a share. So it's a huge price drop. And they're trying to get the share price above $1 so it is not delisted from the NASDAQ. And I don't know much about stocks, but being delisted from the NASDAQ sounds like a bad thing if you're a company who's trying to uh, to make it big out there. Um so in, in addition to all of this, Business Insider has a report that says that MoviePass's monthly losses were listed at $40 million in May, which was last month, and it might actually go up as much to $45 million uh, for this month. So, yeah, I mean, all of this basically is is pointing to the fact that MoviePass is struggling financially. And this is something we've known for a while, but I don't know if we've known to this degree that they're... Uh, that, that they need some significant help. So Helios and Matheson filed a, a report with the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission this week saying that they will require a significant amount of additional capital for MoviePass that might exceed $1.2 billion to become a profitable company and achieve the economy of scale in the movie industry that we're expecting. So yes, I, I mean, I think all of this, uh, again, I'm not like a financial expert, so I can't parse all of the details, but in, in broad strokes, I think this is probably pointing to um, <laughs> MoviePass's days being numbered, and I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to stay afloat. They may be able to stretch it out for another year or something, but uh, this is not exactly what, you know, um, exciting and, and uh, 
confidence building news that you would want to hear from a company like this. So we actually have um, in this article that I wrote some ways for MoviePass to make $1.2 billion and they're all jokes and ridiculous. So you can check that out in the show notes. Let's move on. Um, HT, tell us about <laughs> another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that's in the works. So only two years after the last Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie came out in theaters, uh, Paramount is developing a new version. They've hired screenwriter Andrew Dodge uh, to pen the latest adventure for the, tr- the infamous, or I guess famous, Turtles, Raphael, Leonardo, Donatello, and Michelangelo. And it will be developed by Platinum Dunes, who uh, developed A Quiet Place, which was a big hit for Paramount, as well as producers Andrew Form, Brad Fuller, and Michael Bay, who are the same team behind the 2014 and 2016 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, I was actually not aware that there was a 2016 sequel, but uh, apparently they it was not quite that big of a hit, and now they're bringing on the same team with a new screenwriter to redevelop that series for the big screen. So I, I have not seen that sequel that you're talking about. I think it's called Out of the Shadows. Yes. Uh, Chris, did you see it for any of the, the streaming columns or anything that you've written? No, I will I will not watch this. I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> okay, so I, I grew up loving the Ninja Turtles. We may have talked about this on an, uh, an old episode of this podcast, but HT, you're a bit younger than me, and I, I think I was in like that sweet spot age range for... Uh, the Ninja Turtles in like the late 80s, early 90s. Um, did you and your contemporaries have uh, much of a relationship to the Ninja Turtles growing up? I did, actually. I watched the animated series quite a bit, although they didn't have they don't hold such a, a big place in my heart like the Power Rangers uh, TV show did. But I still remember it fondly, uh, only vaguely, though. But I, I was a sort of like a casual fan of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and would watch a few episodes, but I was pretty young. So I didn't really flock to see the movie despite being like vaguely interested just because it looked pretty terrible and very Michael Bay eyes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I saw bad words and thought that that movie was like, you know, kind of funny, not bad. It's, it's not necessarily something where I was like the screenwriter for this, you know what he should do the next Ninja Turtles movie. Like there's not much there to, uh, to sort of draw that particular line. Uh, and the idea that the same producers are on board here just sort of makes me feel like this is going to be more the same. But I don't know. We'll have to keep our eye on this and see if maybe it's like a Bumblebee Transformers sort of situation where they try to like totally change the entire tone of everything and the, and the look of everything. So we'll see. All right. So moving from Ninja Turtles to It Chapter 2. Chris, tell us about the surprising new addition to this film's cast. Yes, yeah, so Xavier Dolan, who's a uh, he's a French Canadian filmmaker. He he's he made uh, a film called Tom at the Farm and a film called Mommy. Uh, he's made several films, and uh, he's also an actor. And uh, I was not expecting this at all, but he has joined the cast of It too. Um, he's playing a character from Stephen King's book. Uh, the character uh, basically it kicks off the adult section of. The book, how, you know, part of the book is about the characters as kids and part of them is about adults. And this character is, um, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say too much because I don't want to give a spoilers for the movie, but something happens to this character that kicks off, you know, the adult section of the story. And I just was not expecting this because he's not exactly a big name, but he's just someone I didn't expect to be in this film. But 
it's kind of cool. Uh, yeah, he's friends with Jessica Chastain. She was uh, supposed to appear in his upcoming movie, The Death and Life of John F. Donovan, but he had to cut her scene for um, story reasons. But uh, in addition to that, last year when the first It came out, he actually went on social media and said that It was, uh, I'm quoting, his favorite film of this century. So he really loved the first It, and I guess that paid off because now he's in the sequel. That's pretty cool. So I have also read this book, and yeah, I'm I'm hesitant to uh, to accidentally spoil anything anyone, for anyone. So I'll try to be as vague as possible. But Chris, you were mentioning in our Slack channel earlier that the fact that this character is being included is an encouraging thing for you, right? In, in this movie? It is because uh, this definitely will um, distance the film from the, the 1990 miniseries, which is, you know, I, I love the miniseries, but uh, this character wasn't featured at all in the miniseries. You know, his storyline wasn't in the miniseries at all. So the fact that he's in this movie indicates that they're taking this film in a different direction than the miniseries and in a closer direction to Stephen King's book. So that's that's kind of exciting to me. Cool, cool. Uh, all right, so let's move on to uh, Kick-Ass 3. This movie has been in talks for a long time, and it still, I don't think, has an official green light. But uh, if it does end up happening, Chloe Grace Moretz, who played Hit Girl in the original Kick-Ass and in uh, 2013's Kick-Ass 2, will not be reprising her role. So... Uh, Moretz was recently on a panel discussion at a film festival, and the conversation turned to whether or not she would be interested in playing the role of Hit Girl again. And like I said, despite uh, tons of talks over the years of maybe a Kick-Ass 3 happening, I think Matthew Vaughn, the director of the first Kick-Ass, recently announced plans to uh, reboot Kick-Ass into a, a whole different movie with a, a black female lead, which is sort of following in line with uh, what's going on in, in Mark Millar's comics. Uh, Moretz said that she's not interested in coming back. She said, I love the franchise. I think the first movie was really, really special. I wish the second one had been handled in a little bit of a different way because I think we were all kind of looking forward to something a little different than what happened with it all. Uh, as much as I love the character of Hit Girl, I think she lives and survives in Kick-Ass, uh, the first movie, and I kind of want to keep her there. I kind of want to keep everyone's mind in Kick-Ass, so I don't think there will be a Kick-Ass 3, at least I don't think with Hit Girl in it. So, uh, it, it, yeah, that that is sounds pretty definitive, and I think it means that she didn't necessarily have a great experience on Kick-Ass 2, which had a different director. I think Jeff Wadlow directed that film, and I don't know if you guys remember Kick-Ass 2 or, or even saw that movie, but I liked the first Kick-Ass a, a decent amount when it came out in 2010, and the second one, man, that is just a a grimy, nasty piece of uh, of comic book movie. Uh, I don't know. It's it's one of the, like, the most bleak superhero movies, I think, that exists out there. There's, like, a decapitation, an attempted rape. There's, like, this movie would have spawned a billion think pieces if it came out in theaters today. So it's not surprising that she didn't necessarily have a, uh, a great experience on this movie because it was just relentlessly unpleasant in my memory. Um, did either of you see Kick-Ass 2? Do you guys have any any memories of that film? Yeah, I saw it and I was, I'm on the same page as you, Ben. I remember liking Kick-Ass 1 and then being shocked at how brutal and just nihilistic Kick-Ass 2 was. And, which is really funny because it also had that subplot with Hit Girl, which was like a coming of age high school comedy. And mm -hmm. then on the other side is like, who who was the villain in, in that? Um, I think it was uh, Christopher Mintz-Plass. Oh, it was Jim and, Carrey. 
Wasn't oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey was like he, he was like the leader of like the the, the kick ass versus uh, version of like a Justice League yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it was just it was bad. I did not like it. I liked all of Hit Girl scenes, though, but it was just it is very atonal and just very brutal and yeah, unpleasant to watch. Chris, are you going to talk us off the ledge here? Was Kick-Ass 2 any good? Did you see that? I, I never saw it. I did not like the first Kick-Ass. Um, I'm one of those weirdos who does not like Matthew Vaughn's movies. I know people seem to love him, but I kind of just don't care for his movies. So I didn't bother seeing Kick-Ass 2 after seeing Kick-Ass 1. Okay, well, yeah, uh, I thought it was also worth mentioning that uh, Mark Millar, who is also a guy who loves to talk about all sorts of different projects, so anything he says is not necessarily, like, uh, should not necessarily be uh, held in super high esteem because he says a lot of stuff that sometimes never actually pans out. But in any case, he wants Tessa Thompson to play the starring role of Patience Lee, who is that new female version of Kick-Ass I mentioned earlier. So that's his sort of like pie in the sky dream choice to play the role. And I think on social media, she said that she was interested, but you know, who knows how, how those conversations might pan out. So we may be hearing about uh, another Kick-Ass movie, but it sounds like Chloe Moretz's Hit Girl will not be in it if that actually happens. So we'll keep you guys posted. Uh, let's move on to Jurassic world fallen kingdom the box office tracking is in on this film chris what's it looking like uh it's looking good it's not going to be as big of a hit as uh the previous jurassic world which um i think surprised everyone by just becoming this monstrous hit it's it's actually the i think it's the fifth biggest box office hit in history that that film somehow and uh, this film, it's on track to a 130 to 140 million uh, domestic opening when it opens this weekend. But it's also worth noting that the film has already opened overseas and it's taken in um, 372 million overseas already. So when it, you know when all is said and done, this is going to be another big uh, Jurassic hit. So, uh, Chris, have you had a chance to see a screening of this movie yet? I didn't. I was supposed to go this week, and the screening location was an hour away, and I said, you know what? I don't feel like driving an hour for this movie. I saw you tweeting about that. I was like, I wonder what movie that is. So I'm probably going to go see it, like, tomorrow morning or uh, over the weekend or something. H.G., have you seen a screening yet? I have not. Um, I'm also... I would see a screening of it. I'm not too eager to pay for it, but because right. I did not like the first Jurassic World. But we'll see. I, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Yeah, I don't want to get into a whole thing here, but I, I saw a screening earlier this week, and uh, I think longtime listeners of the show will know that I've defended Jurassic World uh, a little bit, the original one in the past. I, I think that movie's kind of fun, and I did not have a good time with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I, I was so disappointed in pretty much every aspect of it. So uh, maybe we can talk about that once the movie actually comes out. But um, yeah, I was I was not a fan of this movie, and uh, I'm disappointed that... Uh, I'm frankly disappointed in anyone who put their names on this movie because it's um, it's it's really like uh, it it sort of flies in in the face of everything that the original Jurassic Worlds or the Jurassic Park stands for. It's it's really bad. At one point, um, Ian Malcolm I actually I have my I have my notes right here. I wrote down there, there's one point where uh, Jeff Goldblum's character says. Uh, how many times must this point be made at the end of the movie? And I'm, I'm like, yes, exactly. Why are you still making Jurassic World movies? This, it's, it's a concept that really only worked once, even though, like I said, I, I sort of had fun with the first Jurassic World. But uh, I think the world would be a better place if they had just stopped after the first Jurassic Park. But uh, again, yeah, that's a, a teaser for another conversation to come, I'm sure. Uh, finally, last item of the day. 
HT, Bond Watch is on again. What is the latest update in the James Bond universe? So the latest update is that Mark Strong may be starring in James Bond 25. And if you're not surprised by this news, it's because... He, it's he's like the perfect match for this franchise. I'm actually more surprised that he hasn't already been in a Bond movie. But this comes from an Instagram video from Mark Strong's personal tra- trainer, uh, Giacomo Farci, who uh, showed posted a video of Mark Strong working out and um, had added some hashtags, James Bond, Bond25, and Dumbo07. That Instagram video has now been removed, so it seems like it's indicating that Strong will be appearing in the uh, 25th 007 adventure. We're not sure yet whether he'll be playing a villain or whether he'll be playing a supporting character, but it seems from his career um, sort of trend that he will be playing a Bond villain in this case. So, Chris, you found this photo of uh, of Daniel Craig and Mark Strong together in uh, what was that from again? It's it's some BBC show called like Our Friend in the North yes. or something like Our that. Our Friends in the North, yeah, it's from the nineties, <laughs> and I don't I I thought it was like a period piece, but apparently it's in modern day, at least in the nineties. I don't remember anyone having hair like that in the nineties. My God, Daniel Craig in this photo, like people, you should definitely click on this link in our show notes and look at this photo because it, it looks like Daniel Craig is doing an audition to play the Beast in a live action Beauty and the Beast uh, movie or something. It's it's totally nuts. These guys, their hair is out of control. Um, so I guess just, uh, Asha, you, you sort of mentioned that uh, Mark Strong, obviously super well known for playing villains. Um, Chris, do you think uh, he's... Even though he's an obvious choice, do you think it's a good choice for Mark Strong to play a Bond villain? I mean, he's a he's a good actor. I like Mark Strong, but it is kind of like cliche at this point that he would end up being a Bond. He just seems like someone who was destined to be a Bond villain. And I mean, he was already in like the Kingsman film, so he already has that sort of you know spy movie cred already. It's just, it's very strange. I mean, I think it would actually be refreshing if he ended up playing a good character, but I don't know if that'll happen. Yeah, that would be awesome because I mean, like the uh, they cast the guy who played Moriarty in uh, Sherlock, and I'm uh, that guy's the actor's name escapes me at this moment, but it, I'm talking about Inspector, and it was so obvious from the first moment that he was on screen that this was a bad guy, and then you know there's a late act twist where it's like, oh, it's this big reveal that he was a bad guy all along. It was like, yeah, no kidding, you you cast the bad guy oh. who looks, you know, Jared super... Harris, right? Uh, Jared Harris was in. No, no, you're, no, you're thinking you're thinking of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, you're talking movies. about the BBC miniseries. Oh yeah, yeah, Sherlock, Andrew Scott. Yes, the, Andrew, yes Andrew Scott. Scott. Yeah, yeah that, that's it. Thank you for the assist. Uh, yeah, Andrew Scott. I mean, he he's he looks like the most weaselly character of all time, and you try to make it make it out to be a good guy. And I I just hope that they learned a lesson from that. And yes, maybe they cast Mark Strong and then just play him against type where they don't actually fall into the the cliche, as you said, that would be uh, a great improvement. And maybe, um, uh, who's directing? Danny Boyle, maybe he will have the wherewithal to do something like that and actually make an interesting uh, casting decision. I don't know, I, I think, I feel like with Danny Boyle on the table here, anything is an option. It's not necessarily, we're not necessarily in for um, just a, a repeat of what we've seen before. This could be an opportunity for the Bond franchise to really do something new and, and fresh. So I'm excited about it. Uh, we'll see what happens and, and what role Mark Strong will play, if any. Uh, maybe this, maybe his trainer just got him fired from the movie. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see about that. Um, 
But before we go, where can people find more of your work online? HC, let's start with you. You can find me uh, every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 you can find me at Slash Film as well. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all of the stories we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily, this podcast, is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to Slash Film Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at Peter at Slash film.com make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the podcast on itunes tell your friends about the show and spread the word any way you can thanks for listening everybody we'll see you tomorrow